Ms. Yurovsky, please, come in. Thank you for waiting. Oh, please, doctor. Tell me, tell me you figured out what's happening here. <sighs> well, Miss Yurovsky, I have some bad news. Uh, oh. We have done every test imaginable. Mm -hmm. Everything, every possible medical test we could do. Mm -hmm. And we still can't figure out why... The audio quality of the last episode of Box Office Time Machine was so bad. You tried everything? Yes. Uh, I'm afraid so. We, we, we've done every test. We tried to split the tracks. We, we thought there were two tracks. But still, it sounds echoey and distorted, as if cursed by a demonic presence. But our audience needs the highest quality stuff. They can't just, they can't just listen to some garbled, echoey, very reverby, annoying audio. Well, uh, Ms. Yurovsky, I, there, there are two solutions as I see it. Mm. Um, normally I would say to go find some kind of audio tech or... Perhaps uh -huh. your boyfriend who works in music and sound design. But we don't think that'll be good enough. Mm. We might need to take a more unorthodox approach. Really, there's only two possible explanations here. One, your episode of your podcast discussing the Matthew Vaughn motion picture Argyle has been cursed mm -hmm. by the Devil himself. <gasps> or two. You and your co-host don't know how to use the audio equipment that your co-host owns. All right. I think, I think the answer is clear. We gotta involve the church. Yeah, it's probably the first solution. Let's get an exorcist in here. I think they have all the solutions. You know, as my favorite Bible quote says, toot toot. Toot toot. Well, welcome back, dear listener, to Box Office Time Machine. If you somehow braved the previous episode and was like, I need to roll that dice one more time. <laughs> I, I need to see whether, you know, I, my eardrums would get assaulted once again or there would be a passable audio quality. You know, there, there's a great conversation about the motion picture Argyle. Yes. Trapped within that episode. And I, I feel like if people can fight through it and fight through the fact that both hosts were a little wine drunk when they recorded, <laughs> I think they're going to have a good time listening. I think so. And I just can't believe that even after that conversation, we had other stuff that we forgot to talk about that also did not make sense. 
Oh, my God. Oh, you're totally right. Okay, you know what? At the end of this episode, remind me. Okay. We will have to have a special section called More Argyle Thoughts. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about mostly today. Argmore. <laughs> Arg Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Veronica. And this is Box Office Time Machine, the show where we discuss the number one movie at the podcast, either this weekend. Number one or movie weekend. at the podcast? <laughs> God damn it. You know, it's this devil. It's the devil. It's the devil. It's partly the devil, but partly as I was saying it. I was thinking back to this weekend when multiple times I had to describe this podcast to people, once at a birthday party to a group of people, and once on a date, <laughs> I had to explain the premise of our podcast to a woman. And um, both times I was like, "I God, I've explained this premise so many times, I should be better at it. And that what was going through my head as I tried to intro today's episode, and so I fucked it up. <laughs> Veronica, just introduce the goddamn show. All right, Box Office Time Machine is a podcast where we talk about the number one movie at the box office, either this weekend or on the same weekend some decades ago. And this decade ago that we are doing, now I'm struggling, is a whole five decades ago. Uh, we're going back to 1974. Uh, and we've seen... The Exorcist. Yes, we are discussing, uh, well, 1973's The Exorcist. It was released in December, but it was number one at the podcast. <laughs> number one at the podcast? Why do I keep wanting to say? I swear to God, listeners, we're not usually this incompetent. And I don't uh, think we- <laughs> either of us is drunk. <laughs> no, I, I am not at all. Don't call so far um, blooper. Yeah, I... Uh, well, you know what? Hey, hey, we're keeping to our New Year's resolution. We are sticking to a, a steady release schedule. So we have that going for us. Yeah, but that's what you get. You have us on a steady schedule. That means we're going to flub some oh, lines. Yeah. We're just so we're so exhausted from recording every other week that we can't talk. <laughs> we're so tired. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about William Friedkin's massive horror hit, The Exorcist. Based on a novel by William Peter Blatty, he also wrote the screenplay. It stars Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Jason Miller, and little Linda Blair. Uh, Veronica, Veronica, what is your history with The Exorcist? Uh, I have no history with The Exorcist. This was my first time watching The Exorcist. Really? Uh, All right. But I feel like I've seen it in the sense of I've seen, was it Scary Movie 2 that had? Yeah, the opening sequence of Scary Movie 2 is basically the same as seeing this movie. I I would say every, once Linda Blair is haunted, I've seen every scene she's in, basically. Like, somehow... I I've encountered it in pop culture uh through osmosis. So unfortunately I, I do feel like I've seen that movie despite not having seen it. Uh that uh that's uh scary movie two opening, yeah, I was right. It's James Woods 
and <laughs> Natasha Leone. Oh, she's Linda girl. Blair. James, she is Linda Blair. Oh, good the for her. Very, the very godly James Woods is playing the priest. <laughs> um, I did forget that Andy Richter is playing the other priest, the younger priest. And oh, good. Uh, check this out. Very funny. Scary movie two. Famously very funny. <laughs> um, James Woods is playing a character named Father McFeely. Wow. Um, oh, oh, and, because of Catholicism. Yeah, because he's a, a priest and what with all the, the molestation. Yes, the, that, that's that a joke funny joke. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And um, uh, <laughs> uh, Andy Richter's character is Father Harris. So I guess they, they went with Father Harris and then just didn't have a joke name on that one. Yeah, they were just um, like McFeely is the apex of both irish sounding and <laughs> molesty sounding names and we could not uh, possibly or maybe it's harassment oh yeah that makes sense um the mcneils <laughs> are replaced by mother and daughter vorhees that's funny because that's another scary movie name. So like, um, but this one still had Anna Ferris, right? So this is just a cold yes. open with throwaway characters that are not. Yes, it's a complete. Well, also, if I remember, um, Scary Movie 2 came out. It's something insane, like two and a half months after the yeah. first one. <laughs> Let me see if I, I can find this. Like they Very soon. They rushed this fucker out so goddamn fast. Well, the Wayans uh, brothers movie... had white chicks to make, so, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's a few years later. Scary Movie 2 came out on July 4th, 2001. Scary Movie 1 came out on July 7th, 2000, so less than one year later. Also, I didn't get to say who played Mrs. Voorhees. It's Veronica Cartwright. Oh, wow. Oh. A lateral um, move. I would say. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, um, okay, we've discussed our technical issues and <laughs> Scary Movie 2, and we're 10 minutes into this podcast. So, yeah, I, I guess we should probably start talking about uh, The Exorcist. Well, what is your history uh, with it? You asked right. me about it. That led to the detour. Right. Well, I also watched the opening to Scary Movie 2 <laughs> in the theaters. Wow. Um I don't think I saw The Exorcist when it was re-released in theaters, despite the fact that all the trailers were like, the spider walk scene is back. I, do, do you remember when they'd be like, hey, we re-released a movie in trailers, and also that deleted scene is back. <laughs> this you could rent it scene, on DVD. You sure knew no. it was there. <laughs> um, they did that with Alien, too. They were like, oh, the cocoon scene's fucking back. Come. It was cut for time, but now it's back. <laughs> It um, must be this good. <laughs> but no, I while I did see uh, the Alien uh, special uh, anniversary re-release in theaters that happened around the same time, I did not see The Exorcist one. I'm going to imagine it was a 20th anniversary, so probably 20 years ago. Um, so 30th. Oh, I guess it would be 30th. Yeah, 30th anniversary. Math is hard. Um, yeah, it's tough. But I did not see it because I had seen The Exorcist before, and I did not really like it. I saw it when I was fairly young and I was first starting to get into horror movies. And of course, like in the, you know, the early aughts, all the lists of like the scariest movies of all fucking time were all like The Exorcist, number one, or like if they wanted to be ballsy, number two. Um, so I was like, I got to rent this. Mm -hmm. And I watched it and 
I was like, huh, this is not scary. Kind of boring. <laughs> um, this is not that scary. I think part of it was that I was not religious. So I was like, oh, the devil. Boogity boogity boo. <laughs> um, but rewatching this, uh, much closer. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I was basically probably uh Reagan's age. Um, but watching it this time, I was very close to Chris McNeil's age, and I found it much more frightening. Um, because this time I'm like, oh yeah, it's not a story about a boogity boo devil. It's a, sc- a story about like, oh no, your child has a horrible disease and might be dying. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like a more simpatico to uh, circa 2000 John that I am. <laughs> so you were not a fan. Okay, I... Yeah, I... I mean, it is similar to what you said. It To me, it didn't feel scary. It was well-made. It's a well-directed movie, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, it just... it There didn't seem to be much there, there for me. Because the scares were not there for the most part because I already saw all of those scenes parodied so many times. And... I also am not religious, so I am not like that type of horror, possession horror is not something that inherently fright frightening to me. So I was just kind of left with, huh, okay. <laughs> well, they're going through the motions, I guess. It's well, well okay, done so, enough. So I one of the the movie was infamous for how shocking it was. So even though you knew the history and you'd seen the parodies, did you still find any of it shocking? Like, no. I mean, a, a child brutally masturbates with a crucifix. That's kind of gross. I mean, it felt more silly than anything like that. <laughs> and your mother sucks cocks in hell. Like, it felt more silly than actually threatening. You it, were like, you were like, that's absurd. You don't masturbate with a crucifix. You, you masturbate, masturbate with, with a menorah. Exactly. You got the wrong religion. Yeah, one into your butt and one into your pussy. <laughs> uh, six more to left. Six yeah, more for left all over. the boys in town. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't find, like, I mean, maybe that's because like the crucifix doesn't hold any sort of like holy anything in my mind it just it felt like provocative for sure but it didn't like feel scary there's not Mm. a lot of it's an it's an interesting movie i don't and i'm curious what you think of it because you watch a ton more horror than i do but it felt and maybe because you know this is very early this is like pre-slasher pre all that stuff like it really did not feel like it was constructed like a horror movie in many ways. Like, I did not feel the suspense at any point. You know what I mean? Like, the most suspenseful scene was the scene at the hospital when she is, like, tied up with tape and she's getting, like, her, like, whatever, like, the... The test that they did where they put like the, ink into your brain. Tap, right? It's like some 
like treatment to visualize uh, her brain. Like, uh, let me look up the name of it. But basically, that was like the only sort of oh, the, uh, and, anglo and geography and geography. Yeah. So that and even that wasn't that suspenseful, but that was, I guess, more novel <laughs> than the rest of it. But otherwise, so it didn't feel really suspenseful or scary, really. But it also, it just didn't feel, I feel like in a lot of maybe more modern movies, there's subtext. It really didn't feel like there was a lot of subtext, I guess. It just, it just felt like, oh, okay, it is what it is kind of thing and I mean you saying that it's about a a child or a, well, I think a parent, I think more like, than that but I'll, I'll get into it yeah but like I can see it maybe being about like a metaphor for I don't know like your child is going through puberty and changes and whatever it is but you know like Buffy the Vampire Slayer like which is not necessarily horror but it's all about like it's all like symbolic in the sense of like, oh, all the monsters are like the things you face in puberty or like, I don't know, like Halloween, it, I think also still has like the subtext of like how, I don't know, like teenagers should not have sex too soon or whatever it is. Uh, but here it just seemed like... I disagree like, with your interpretation of Halloween, but fair. <laughs> I, I mean, like, but I think like there is, there's... You know, Michael Myers exists on some symbolic plane. And I feel like I don't know that there's a ton of symbolism in what is happening in The Exorcist to me. And usually even for like horror movies where I don't necessarily. I don't find the sort of the subgenre scary, which is like ghosts or exorcisms or whatever there's still like sometimes interesting stuff in terms of like oh how do we read this between the lines but it didn't really feel like there was much to it in this one to me um okay so uh so yeah so (laughs) (laughs) i talked a lot i'm trying to decide where to start um you're right that i i i like horror movies more um but i think when I hear people say like they don't like horror movies, um, I feel like sometimes they're. I kind of disagree with the uh, uh, idea that a horror movie has to be like scary, like um, not and not just in the kind that like oh a horror comedy still horror, but like I don't I don't think like visceral like startling moments is a necessity. Um, this. Then again, the same way I don't think a comedy needs to make you laugh out loud to be a comedy. But I think like a horror movie can still be a horror movie if it explores kind of negative, upsetting thoughts and dwells on them. And I think this movie dwells on a genuinely horrifying feeling, which is, as this movie would put it, a loss of faith. But as a secular person like myself would put it, a feeling of uh, a loss of hope and a feeling of powerless and hopeless despair. Um, you have 
I, you know, I feel like I get it the first time in this movie when uh, a scene that I probably would have just slept through as a child, just so fucking bored. But when Karis goes to visit his mother mm. and like she's, you know, living in kind of pretty dire straits and there's really nothing he can do to help her. He's, a, you know, a broke like priest um, and then when she dies and he never even got to speak to her before she died. And it's just this feeling of despair and hopelessness that she's gone and there's nothing he could do to help her. Then you have this mother just watching her daughter get sicker and sicker and all these doctors doing more and more obtrusive obtrusive intrusive uh medical procedures <laughs> on her child and they just keep telling her they don't know what's going on they don't know how to help her um and it's that feeling of like maybe maybe no one will ever find an answer maybe this is just going to keep getting worse and worse and my daughter's just going to die and it's that feeling of hopelessness that i think is very uh, effectively communicated in the uh, uh, first two thirds of this movie um, that I find now as someone who isn't, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of my time afraid of the devil. Um, <laughs> my day to day life. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not that frequently worried about what what the old boy's up to um, or his, I guess. Or woman. His, it's true. It's true. It's 2024. The devil can be a woman and she can look like Elizabeth Hurley in the movie Bedazzled. <laughs> Good. Um, uh, and also to be clear, it's not the devil. It's Pazuzu, a demon. Also, what a silly name. Like, how can you take seriously a demon named Pazuzu? <laughs> well... Uh, you you it's should like, speak oh, who's to. Who's a good doggy? Who's a good doggy? Oh, Pazuzu, Pazuzu. You, sh you should speak to the old ancient Babylonians or whatever. <laughs> um, I believe yes, Pazuzu. Uh, the actual, uh, the the ancient Pazuzu is the personification of the southwestern wind and held kingship over the Lilu wind demons. So. So if it's a demon from the southwest of the United uh, States. No, 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 no. Uh wait. The southwest oh, of know. what? <laughs> uh I don't know. Uh one minute. It's from no, this is from like Egypt. Okay, but the person was in Iraq. Well, it's Egypt and Mesopotamia. Also okay. it's a movie. <laughs> Also, not like the first part of it, the part in a dig in Mosul or wherever they shot, like has no bearing on the rest of this movie. Like there's no there's no correlation between Reagan becoming possessed and Max von Sydow going to Iraq. Like it just. That's another thing. It just felt so random. And maybe that's a part of it, I guess. But to me, it just was like, okay, but why this kid? And why this way? And, like, what are, like, the sins that, you know, she has to pay for or whatever? You know, uh, 
Veronica, since we, we have uh, uh, found ourselves at odds on this podcast, I'm going to throw you a bone. Um, I re- Not knowing we were going to do it for the podcast, I rewatched this movie in October for the first time since I was a child. And I'm going to read you uh, the end of my letterbox review where I say many of the same things I'm saying now, uh, talking about how I, d- I found it boring as a kid, but I found it scary now. The movie's much more frightening now, certainly not the most frightening movie ever. I'm still not Catholic, but its power is apparent to me in a way it never was before. To be honest, though, the first half hour is still a little boring. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it, it just has no bearing on the rest of the movie in any way, which is kind of unfortunate. I really thought that whatever it is Max von Sydow experienced there would somehow come, I don't know, bear fruit when he actually comes to do the exorcism. But it really didn't feel like it did, except that I, he used the same pills tin. I understand why it's there. Um, well, first off, I don't fully understand why it's there because I haven't read the book. Um, so I imagine that the book maybe spends a little more time there. Sure, just... but that's like a bad excuse in my opinion. Okay, well, if you read the book, you won't understand this. No, no. the movie has to stand alone on I, its own I merits. agree. I agree. Um, I agree. I think, but I, so why it's there in the book, it might be a little different, but it's here in the movie basically to set up the character of Father Marin and to set up that there is this guy who has some kind of confrontation with these demons and that there is something supernatural afoot. Um, I think the scene's longer than it needs to be. I think maybe they got a bunch of beautiful footage in the desert and then they were like, yeah, let's keep it all. Um, but I understand why it's there. Actually, did you read about it? Like, so it was shot at a time where the United States, surprise, surprise, had no relations with Iraq diplomatically. So they went sort of straight to the, uh, is it the uh, Bahat party? Oh, the party that Saddam Hussein was, uh, that was ruling the country. And they let them film in Mosul. And then... But they were like, okay, but in return, you have to hire local crews and you have to teach anyone who's interested about filmmaking, which I feel like is a very wholesome deal. It was very nice. <laughs> it's the anti-Argo. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is very but nice. I mean, anyway, it just felt like, and the stuff that you bring up, I think the stuff with the mother and the guilt over the death of the mother is actually the best stuff in the movie. You're talking about uh, Karis's mother, not uh, McNeil. Yes. McNeil, spoiler alert, does not die. Uh, but yeah, it's just his guilt and all that is so interesting. And that does come into play in some way, but I just wanted the pieces to fit better together. It just felt like there were these three parallel stories that started out in like various points in the movie and then they needed to bring them together but they did not necessarily thematically come together at the end obviously it's sort of like this is 
kind of a bad analogy, but, you know, in Seinfeld, they set up three stories and at the end, they all kind of come together and you're like, oh, okay. They do all come together. They all hang out in a bedroom at the end. And then, you know, Kramer falls down and dies and and George ju- dives out a window. <laughs> yeah, but it just never feels... Jerry! Jerry, I took the evil inside of me! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he was exorcism worthy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the rest of the show now, right? <laughs> no, it just, you know, they came together because the screenwriter and the filmmaker wanted them to come together. They didn't, it didn't feel like they came together out of any sort of like thematic necessity where they almost like had to you know which is i think in the best movies that's what happens it still feels to me in this movie is just like three strands and they come together because they have to come together but they don't necessarily the redemption of one of them doesn't really impact anyone else in any way and max von Sydow just dies like, I don't even know, like, what he dies of. I guess shock in some way. He takes, like, nitroglycerin, apparently. that's I read that in the Wikipedia, which was not clear. But I don't know why he died at that point. I don't know what it is, like, what it was about the exorcism that made him die. It just, it felt like it had to happen, so it did. Well, okay. Well, let's let's look at Father Karras. What would you you say they don't connect thematically? What would you say is Father Karras's like character arc? The Karras character arc. The Karras character. The Karras character. Well, that's the thing. It seems like he's guilty about not being there for his mom, and he's guilted by his uncle about not actually becoming a doctor and providing for his family. And so I guess by performing this exorcism, he's punishing maybe himself in some way by becoming possessed and then taking this load off this girl. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think is his character arc? Hmm. Um, I mean, he's not conflicted about God at any point. It doesn't seem. He doesn't seem to be conflicted at the end. He doesn't have, like, his concern was just about, he's not regretting even really taking the job that he had. He regrets not being there for his mom, which is totally reasonable, but I don't think that, I don't actually know how his guilt over his mom leads him to help out Chris McNeil necessarily. Well, I, so he, you know, he's lost his faith. Let's go through it. He's lost his faith. Um, Has he though? Yeah. He says he lost his faith. He says he's having a crisis of faith to uh, one of the other uh, uh, religious guys. (laughs) The dudes, the religious. I thought he, all he, all he was talking about was that. Uh, he just regrets not being there for his mom that she died without him. I forget the exact words, but he's but okay. He's so he's, he, having he's having a crisis of a faith. Crisis of faith. So far, so good. He doesn't know that he can be a priest any longer, and so 
clearly like okay if you're having a crisis of faith and then you see like that like the literal devil talks to you on one hand like problem solved um if your issue is like, I don't think I believe in the devil anymore, and then the devil's like, "Hello," I'd be like, "Oh, hey, now I'm ba- I'm back, baby." Um, but I think I guess, but even that, okay, if that was the arc, that's pretty. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's not. It can't just be that. So if right. he has this guilt over not being able to save his mother, and there is this kind of this hopelessness, then he sacrifices himself. And in the end, we see our sign of hope, which is Reagan, not just cured, but like blessed with like not remembering so that she's like purely given her life back. And he gives that to her. And I would say that Father Marin represents just a guy who isn't conflicted, who, um, you know, who is fully still uh, uh, a believer um, and someone who, say, Father Karras could aspire to be. And then when he dies, that's like the ultimate darkness of like, oh, he still had his faith and look where he fucking ended up. But that inspires mm. Karras to to work even harder and eventually save the girl. I don't know. I, I, I guess I think that's how, like... I don't have a problem. I see them connecting. I guess. It's just none of it is satisfying. Sure. It like, yeah. I, I I think like, I think this is a reasonable explanation, obviously. And I'm sure it's the correct one. But it's like knowing that still doesn't make me any more em- emotionally invested in this movie, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I just it's a it's a movie. I think it's a movie about like kind of hopelessness and despair. And at the end, the characters have kind of sacrificed themselves to give hope to another character, which. I- but I guess. But I feel like also at the end, it has like this. I mean, I think this movie is very Christy, actually, like very pro-religion, and. At the you, end, you think when the she movie sees with, that with two priests as the hero is a little, a little Christy. <laughs> I mean, I think yes, and maybe that's another reason why I don't like it because I'm a heathen. Mm-hmm. But it's just Did like it's kind of annoying that uh, just a tiny bit, but it's okay. <laughs> It'll heal with the blood of seven children. Oh, fun! Uh, no. It's because, uh, like, even at the end, when like Reagan sees the priest, uh, the surviving priest, priest who steals, by the way, thou shall not steal, priest. Uh, he steals some vodka from the party he was invited to, or not vodka, whiskey. Um, and uh, but she gives him a kiss because she now knows the priests are all good, and it's like such an icky message. I really did not like. I that. so I di- I I think that's not what the interpretation is supposed to be. Also, nineteen seventy five. I would uh, nineteen seventy three, nineteen seventy one when the book came out. Um, I don't think the connection between priest and molestation was really the public connection. Obviously, it was happening a lot. But, but what is so what is the interpretation? I, I think that is supposed to show us like it's um I think that's to me, that's a sign there's like the sadness that like Karis gave his life 
and this little girl doesn't even remember him. And then to me, that moment is like, oh, spiritually, she she does. I mean, I guess, but it's still like what she does is remember like how great Jesuits are. I don't think. Like, I don't know. I think when she sees the color, she's not going, yay, Catholicism. She's going, oh, that guy. But she doesn't really know. Like, I think it's 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 more it isn't like a, you know, like, it's not like she saw a Bible and went, hmm. I think I'm going to give that a read tonight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this movie is so pro-religion, though, even outside of this. It, this movie is basically like, yeah, we're pretty cool dudes. We'll come over. We'll do some exorcism very selflessly. And the Bible is great. And the Lord is great. And the devil is real. See, So please be religious. Yeah, you know, there's something funny. And there, it, this is something I struggled with a bit when I was younger the fact that so many um horror movies of uh, uh classic horror movies just horror movies of the 20th century um are so steeped in particularly Catholicism and just take it uh for granted that uh the Catholic uh Catholic beliefs are all real um, they're all true. Priest got magic powers. The devil's out there. It's all real. Um, and that what for a while, like when I was in high school, that kind of annoyed me. Like I was feeling like the way you were like, ugh, God, get, can we get like a hero who, who fucks? <laughs> I don't want to watch a movie where the heroes are virgins. Fuck this. Um, but no, like, that that did... But, like, here, I mean, those people are the equivalent of virgins. Yes, no, I know, I know. And it did always, you know, it's uh, priests fighting Dracula, it's priests fighting the devil, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, I think um, what, uh, uh, what horror is great at is having, coming up with these kind of good versus evil kind of fights where sometimes you need just like a vague, like a broad concept of evil to then put in human meaning and emotions to. And Catholicism is just like, it's the fucking, it's the Dungeons and Dragons of religions. Like, it's just packed to the gills with fucking monsters. <laughs> it's cinematic. But also monsters. And monsters. Uh, the monster family. Yeah. They sound Jewish, but actually the monsters are Catholics. Yeah, the monster te- monster steens are Jewish, but <laughs> the... The, the Adams family, ac- actually, very Jewish. Yes. That's, oh, don't we all know? Uh, anyway, no, it just, yeah. I mean, I just, I didn't connect to this movie at all. Like, the stuff that this movie finds scary are kind of the, an- this is an antithesis of what I find scary. And it all I, So it was just very underwhelming, Mm -hmm. I guess. 
I don't know. But I mean, I suppose it was interesting to watch on like, you know, checking off a historic, <laughs> historically significant movie that I can now say that I've seen. But yeah, I don't know. It it really left me cold to like a surprising extent. Mm. I was like, why did like people fainted while yeah. watching this movie? Even though I read that like maybe Warner Brothers exaggerated that oh, for marketing course. purposes. But still, like people found it so and I just can't connect with the kind of mindset that would find any of it scary. Even if like a lot of people fainted actually at the medical scenes, which is kind of surprising. But still, it just it feels so odd to me. But I guess it's like a different time. You know, people ran away from a train the first time they <laughs> saw, saw it in a movie theater. So, you know. Yeah, to, but, to be clear, yeah. Psycho, the movie Psycho, came out in 1960. So 13 years earlier. Uh, Psycho is the first time they showed a toilet in a movie. Right. But Psycho is so freaking good. Oh, I... Psycho knows I know. the beats of what makes the suspenseful scene. Like, that actually, you know what? The Psycho argument makes me downgrade this movie even more. Because I was just like, oh, this movie is from 1973. What did they know about suspense in 1973? But it's not... No. Yeah, they had Hitchcock. They knew the beats. Well, that's that. They, yeah, that's like, the master of suspense is is deep into his career at this point. But um, yeah. But you know, no, no. What I'm saying is that, like, like the um, what was even allowed to be shown on the screen true, had true, changed true. Of course, of course. so rapidly in the preceding thirteen years that it's not surprising like that people sheltered- were shocked by what was in this movie. But how sheltered do you need to be to be so shocked by, sure, a concept put into film for the first time, maybe. But, like, are you shocked by the concepts of medical procedures? Like, what are we being shocked by? Veronica, first off, I would say right now in 2024, if you tried to pitch a movie that included a scene where a 12-year-old girl played by an actual child actress, violently is forced to jab a crucifix into her crotch until she bled, nowadays studios would be like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> um, but more so, I think, I think... I mean, not all studios, some studios, I'm sure. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, but beyond that obvious example, I think uh, graphic depictions of... Uh, uh, medical procedures done on children, I think, would still make audiences incredibly uncomfortable. Because that's I mean, a horrible thing to sure. see. Sure, but also like, th- but also this procedure was not that. Like, I mean, that was as There's I said, the only needle. time I felt a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, it's a big fucking needle. But like, grow the fuck up. Like, this was an R-rated movie. It's funny, I was reading, like, because of course the ratings meant so many different things then. You know, we didn't have PG-13 and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and X was still a I rating. don't think there was a PG-13 at that point. No, there wasn't. Uh, PG-13 did not come till yeah. uh, the 80s after Gremlins and Temple of Doom pissed people off. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one pissed people off because a lot of children went. This is, I still find this so funny. Um, 
This is, uh, we're still in the period where horror movies were for children. Like people just thought like, oh yeah, horror movies, that's, that's Dracula in a matinee. And the kids go, (laughs) have you ever read, um, uh, uh, Roger Ebert's review? It's not really a review. It's a news report description of a screening of Night of the Living Dead. No. So this is like Night of the Living Dead came out in uh, um, uh, 68. So five years before this. Uh, Night of the Living Dead came out five years before this. And um, people like screened it during daytime matinees because that's when monster movies were because they were for children (laughs) and teenagers. And so Roger Ebert has this great article where he describes, and it's online. I'm not going to look for it and read it on the podcast, but he describes (laughs) going to a screening of Night of the Living Dead and the children just like, they're laughing, they're having a good time, and then they just go, like, silent, and they're, like, crying by the <laughs> end of the movie. Because people Aww. still, like, people just dropped their fucking, like, like elementary school kids off. And there is, uh, in the Wikipedia for The Exorcist, in some of the background I was looking up, like, people took kids to see this movie. And they were pissed off. Yeah. They were like, this should have been X. And then, um, I know a few mm-hmm. years later, uh, when is, um... When is Alien? Is Alien 78? 79. A few years later, when Alien came out, all the media was like, good news, the new Star Wars is here. (laughs) And they had... What? Yeah, and they had, like, alien toys. And so parents brought their kids (laughs) to see fucking Alien. And um, there's a... uh, I forget some YouTube video about the history of Alien I was watching recently. And they had an old news report where um, parents were... uh, Like, a a reporter was interviewing a dad who just brought his kid out of Alien. And he's like, "Uh, do you uh, regret taking your child to see Alien? And the dad's like... Yeah, yeah, I, I regret that now. It was probably a bad idea. And then he goes down to the kid and he's like, um, son, are you going to tell your friends to go see Alien? And the little boy who, who appears to be like eight or nine is like, oh, God, no, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> and he looks so upset. Aww, that's pretty wholesome. I like that. But, but I also, on the one hand, yes, it's like, People are being stupid, but I'm also against people then like suing the movie studios or the ratings board for their decisions. This is like America. Isn't it supposed to be all about like free will and cowboy and pew, pew, pew? <laughs> like make what? your own decisions. Did people sue if you the rating took board? your kid to see it. What? Did people sue the rating board? Well, that was, I think like. There was an outrage around it not being given an X, the X rating. Yeah. And there was like a large outcry. I don't know if anyone was like necessarily suing, but like there was, you know, this big outcry about this. And it's like, you can read the description of what the movie is. I mean, I'm pretty sure they didn't sell this as like, you know, the book, a fun romp the for book the whole was family. Bestseller. People, and this was a uh, yeah. people still read books, so like people yeah, knew then. what this was. It's I I think this is uh, uh, I don't know 
I, I would imagine less children went to see this one than went to see Alien and certainly Night of the Living Dead. But it is funny to imagine. But then again, I saw this when I was probably 12 and I did find it more boring than scary. Yeah, I think this one. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think it's one of those things where like if you're under a certain age, I would guess maybe I under like 11 or something you would find this scary because you still kind of believe in that shit and and then when you're kind of a teenager you would be over it because you probably have seen a lot of like edgy horrible stuff so you would just be kind of bored by it <laughs> and then maybe you can cross that threshold again and be scared of it in an older age but yeah, I feel like certain movies definitely like go over people's heads. Why? Uh, when they're younger. I know that as a child, I was mostly interested in the uh, story of an actress socialite now divorced and <laughs> trying to film a movie in Washington D.C. Um, uh, well, okay, so yeah, I was sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just yeah? One one last thing. Uh, that I want to focus on that I think is a thread that should have really been, you know, picked up again is that she is being one of her uh, like household staff is either a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer. And it's like never picked up on. Oh, I totally forgot. Wait, wait. So that's in the beginning. What happened? Yeah, she has like this like Swiss guy who works for her as one of the people in the house. He's very reluctant to put mousetraps in the attic. But then when there's a fancy party, the party where the uh, Reagan pees herself uh, and the priest steals the whiskey from, uh, the director of the movie keeps coming to one of the uh, the people who work at uh, Chris McNeil's house mm -hmm. and keeps tell like goading him about being a Nazi sympathizer. And I thought that was very interesting. And I guess you can kind of say that the reason why it's there maybe is because that guy is kind of played out to be sort of like a Polanski figure. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's his thing. He's like, oh, Huh. A Jewish Polish director. So like what would be his thing? Maybe he would try to like out Nazis, maybe even if they weren't really Nazis. But it's it was such a like a weird detail that they really keep harping on in that party scene, but then that guy dies, so we, you, there's never that uh it never comes back. But it just felt so odd that they chose to include that detail and then didn't really do anything about it. I I didn't think of the um I didn't think of the uh Plansky connection. That's interesting. I, I guess I always thought like that scene was more about um well first off, it's just like adult conversations like i feel like if you were doing you're having just like a fancy person party in a movie now you'd have people just debating like politics uh angrily and then it gets interrupted by the supernatural thing but then also like i always thought that like that seems more to like show like the director's kind of a drunk i guess but it's just such a specific like if your goal was to show that why would you 
show a director accusing someone else on the household staff of being a Nazi, that feels like such a strong accusation. <laughs> and like to just like not. Yes, I, I mean, sure, you can show that they talk about politics or whatever, but they can talk about, I don't know, RFK being shot or I mean, that's a bit earlier, but I mean, something It's just that it's like. It just feels so weird to have that introduced, especially considering that Nazis had like a whole like supernatural kind of almost devil worshipy side where they sort of worship the occult. And in a movie where there's a like a possession by the devil, it seems very odd that that's not like addressed in any way and that guy ends up dying basically in the next scene and it just I don't know in my head when that happened I was like oh I think that servant guy killed him <laughs> yeah it's funny I I really always read that as um as literally like the director's just drunk like because the guy's like I'm Swiss not German um I mean, he's clearly drunk, but it seems like he wasn't even. I, I, I don't know. It he felt was to me like there the was some truth was to the accusation. Here, I'm. I'm seeing. I don't know. I did not get that impression. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like so odd that if the whole goal was to playfully explain how the director is a drunk, it seems like accusing someone else from a servant quote unquote class would not be the way that I would choose to do it, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I think it's supposed to be an ugly moment. Um, ooh, do, 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 man. But it's, I, it I happened have, several times. There's a, an article in Hearts from 2012, uh, uh, reading the exorcist. Hearts the, Hearts the auto. Yeah. No, Hearts. How do you, how do you pronounce Hearts? Hearts? Haaretz? What is H-A-A-R-E-T-Z. Oh, Haaretz? Like the Israeli newspaper? <laughs> yeah, they had, I found an article from 2012 um, uh, interpreting uh, the movie as a Holocaust movie. But yeah, I I, I still, I've, I've always read that scene as just, he's, this is a drunk, ugly moment. Um, he, we're making him a drunk because then like people will believe that he just fell down later. Um, and then also like, uh, uh, like it's just like her life's like all this, there's just all these things that are stressing out Chris McNeil and this is just another thing. That's how I interpreted that. I, I never, I, I might, I very much might be wrong, but I did not think the, the Butler guy was actually a Nazi. <laughs> I don't know. I think it sort of, to me, when I watched it, it left it open-ended enough where I was like, could could he be? Like, I'm not saying he was, but it's just like such an interesting wrinkle to introduce and then just not follow up on. But obviously it could just be like a product of our time. Yeah, you know, I where, think it like, might have. Nazis are very much like top of mind. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. Um, all right. Well, uh, is there I like is there anything you really liked about the movie? I'm curious. I I mean, I liked. 
I don't know. It was competently made. <laughs> I can say that, obviously. You know, the director of Oscar winning uh, The French Connection is capable of directing a movie. Um, and I thought, <laughs> this is not even about the movie, but I thought that the, uh, whatever restored version that was on Paramount Plus was very well done. Mm. It looked really good. <laughs> like, very, whoever did that, did a very good job. And I think Linda Blair is genuinely a very good, like, unprecocious, naturalist performer, uh, which I did not expect. Like, even, like, you know, at when she is playing a non-possessed child. It felt very natural. Like, I really liked her relationship with uh, her mom. Uh, so that's stuff I liked. I also like that they compared the priest to Rocky, which <laughs> was apt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, we should, uh, William Friedkin, uh, the aforementioned director, uh, passed away uh, last year. Um, uh, Rip. Rip uh, did not have to see uh, The Exorcist Believer, which came out a few months later in October, which transitions to what I would like to talk about. The thing that you wanted to talk about more than anything. There's a thing that I want to talk about um, <laughs> that is uh, tangentially related to this movie. And that is the fact yes. that in... Let me double check the year. Uh, in the year... Well, I'm just going to read the headline from this article from October 2023. This was published in mm -hmm. uh, The Wrap right after it became clear that The Exorcist colon Believer, the uh, legacy sequel that came out uh, last year, was bombing very hard. The headline is mm -hmm. Why NBC Universal Shelled Out $400 Million for an Exorcist Trilogy. For those of you that don't know, in 2021, <laughs> Universal bought the rights to the entire Exorcist franchise uh, for $400 million. That is an astronomical sum. Um, that is absurd. <laughs> I, I'm going to read uh, from this article. Uh, what did the $400 million, uh, $400 million buy? In a word, everything. Studio insiders told The Wrap that the price tag, which The Wrap believes is the most ever paid for a horror franchise, included production budgets for three feature-length movies. Now, I'm curious about that. Why would the, the purchasing price include the budgets for the movies? Mm. I mean, I don't know. It could be to maybe show how like the quality of those movies as it sort of pertains to how much it costs to make them right oh and this was a, a or maybe this was blumhouse and universal oh but nbc universal is the one who who paid it yeah I, i'm confused by that i uh yeah i don't know um 400 million well anyway uh production budgets for three feature-length movies producer fees talent buyouts rights backends and the ability to use the ip company-wide uh, for example, uh, this past year at Halloween Horror Nights, um, as they were uh, uh, in the promotion for Exorcist Believer, um, they uh, they put... Did we go to an Exorcist thing? They had one. We, it was not one of the houses we made it to. 
but they did have an Exorcist okay. Believer haunted house at the Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights haunted house thing. Um, but okay, even if like that includes the budget, which I guess it does for the movies, Exorcist Believer cost $30 million. So $90 million as the budgets, we still got $310 million. Now here's where it becomes more crazy to me. So this is 2021 and this is um, they July 2021. So Halloween Kills is about to come out. They filmed Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Uh, David Gordon Green was going to run both the Exorcist trilogy as well. He was removed, mm-hmm. fired, whatever, after the failure of Exorcist Believer. And that also followed Halloween Kills and Ends uh, being very poorly received. Oh, God. Um, you can listen to our episode when on that. When it kills, it ends. But, but, so I don't think, they don't know about the response to Halloween Kills and Ends when they make this deal. Um, so what they do know is that the Halloween uh, uh, legacy sequel from 2018 was shockingly successful. Um, and in my opinion, and good. very good. Yes, we both really liked it. Yeah. But that movie made, in total, has made $260 million. So even mm. still, for $400 million, you have to believe that The Exorcist is going to make comfortable amounts of money. And my question to you, Veronica, is if you buy the rights to The Exorcist in 2021, what the fuck are you actually getting? When you buy the rights to Halloween, let's say you're buying the rights to Halloween, um, no matter what, Halloween, you have first off the title Halloween. That's a pretty good title for a horror movie. Um, Also, you have a famous character in Laurie Strode. And at that point, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis wants to come back, yada, yada, whatever. But even if she doesn't, you have recognizable characters like Laurie Strode and Donald Pleasance. You have... And Michael Myers. I'm going to get to Michael Myers. Okay. Sorry. You also have the John Carpenter music, the famous theme song, all the famous themes of that movie's still effective. Then most importantly, you have Michael Myers himself. And perhaps more importantly, you got that fucking mask. You can continue to churn out remakes, reboots, whatever, forever. Because the iconography is repeatable. Don't get me wrong. I still think as much as I love the Halloween franchise, the first movie didn't need any sequels. It was good by itself. And most sequels, (laughs) as much as I love them, are bad. But... You can see if you're purely looking at this for a money reason, why say Halloween is a good investment. Um, the Exorcist. As Let's see what you get. The word The Exorcist doesn't matter. In the years since the first Exorcist have come out, we've had The Exorcist of Emily Rose, The Last Exorcist, whatever. People have been able to make movies titled some version of The Exorcist as much as they want. Who are your heroes? Priests. You can't copyright priests. You can't put, like, you you can't. They're owned by someone else. Okay, who's your villain? Pazuzu? Well, that's an unseen entity. So there's really no iconography there. Also, it's an ancient demon. So you're really not trademarking that either. Um, A little girl? Like, Reagan McNeil, as you said, Linda Blair is great in the role. She's just lying in bed. 
<laughs> uh, Chris McNeil, the mother. Ellen Burson is wonderful in this role. But again, as Exorcist colon Believer found out, what do you do with that character afterwards? Um, so really, as much as I can, I can think, you are spending $400 million for the rights to use a tiny part of tubular bells. That is mm. basically all you've gotten. $400 million. Well, I would argue the Exorcist theme is also, I mean, if anything, very similar to the Halloween theme. <laughs> well, that's... It's like, it's very, it's very much the same. Well, that's, that's Mike, In my Mike Oldfield, who was like um, an experimental musician. That music was not written for the movie. And the, the Exorcist part, that is just a tiny portion of an album-length symphony. Like a, a mm. experimental experimental musical piece, so it's not like there's like other the like there's other music for the movie, but like that part, which is only played twice in the film, is just like an 18 second like clip from that mm. song. So I mean, it is incredibly was John memorable. Carpenter inspired by it at all? Because it felt eerily similar to Halloween. Um, I don't know. Is is it synthesizer? It's not, I don't think it's synthy, but it is, it seems like a very similar melody. Anyway, regardless, it seems, I don't think this was a movie decision, in my opinion. Well, I guess it sort of hinges on two things. When they bought it, did they buy the rights to all the previous ones? I think so, but even that, Can they still, now this is distribute The Exorcist. It's a much tougher like franchise. So you got the first one that that's still famous, but again, it it doesn't have like mm -hmm. the youth appeal that say Halloween franchise does. Um, also, sure, sure, sure. the second the second movie is I've never seen it. I think it's uh, the John Borman sequel is n not well regarded. It's famously terrible. I, I have not seen it, so I can't. I mean, I assume all the sequels are bad. Um, Halloween 3, <laughs> William Peter Blatty returns to make uh, a, an adaptation of his. Exorcist 3. Uh, what did I say? Halloween. Oh, blah. Exorcist 3. William Peter Blatty returns <laughs> to do an adaptation of his book Legion. It's really I it's a fun movie. I I like parts of it. I watched it for the first time after watching this one. Um it's a fun it's really interesting because it's an adaptation of the book which is like a sequel to the first book. So there's stuff like there's a major storyline in the book that was cut out for this first movie that's all about Father Karras becoming friends with that police detective. Like, you know, that detective who has like two scenes and mm -hmm. then just in the background for the rest of the movie. He's a major character in the book. Um, so it's oh, he wow. and the surviving priest, the guy from the last scene, um, being like, boy, we miss our best friend, Father Karras. And it's like, what? You didn't even meet him. But they're played by different actors. But Father Karras is played by Jason Miller. Oh. So it's weird. <laughs> it's it's an interesting movie. But then there's uh, The Exorcist 4, which is the, has the very weird thing where um they filmed it. Uh who who made The Exorcist 4? Um do you remember this whole thing with The Exorcist 4 being released in theaters twice? I, I think it Uh no, I have not 
Uh, but I think Rennie Harlan directed Rennie that. Harlan directed Exorcist, Exorcist the, beginning. the Beginning. But that was like a but re... that is The Exorcist 4. That is a retooling. According to Wikipedia. That is a retooling. First, Paul Schrader shot Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. The studio didn't think it was scary mm. enough. So they brought Rennie Harlan in to reshoot, I don't know what percentage of it, but enough that it was like a different movie. And then that bombed. So they said, fuck it. We'll also release the other one. So both of them got theatrical oh. releases. Neither of them did super well. The uh, The theatrical release for Dominion was much smaller. Um, but like, Also, originally John Frankenheimer was supposed to direct Dominion. Allegedly, according to Wikipedia. But yeah, so there, there's also, there's a TV show that I think people thought was pretty good. But like, so it's not, there isn't a huge, from like the perspective of money people, there's not a huge value to that, to this IP. I think it's crazy. But so The Exorcist Believer bombed. That was supposed to be the first part of a trilogy. They've scrapped those plans. However, here's the interesting <laughs> thing. Veronica. They have to make more Exorcist movies. They can't. So we could be making them? Well, it could be I us. Mean, maybe. My question to you is what would you, you are asked to come up with a modern day Exorcist movie, a movie that would go into this franchise. What are you doing? Mm. What, like, I genuinely have a hard time even thinking what that would be. Uh, okay. I will say this was just sprung on me. So I have not have any. Dang, have this is how it works in Hollywood. Notions. This is how it works, baby. I'm in an elevator. Got a pitch. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like wouldn't it have to. I don't know what the most recent one was about, but wouldn't it be like something like a mother is very concerned about her daughter's like social media use? Like, she's always on her phone, and somehow, like, her daughter follows some TikTok that's been possessed by the devil, and now, all of a sudden, the daughter becomes, like, a TikTok superstar, but she's actually possessed by the devil as she does all those things. I don't know. I feel like that that seems to be the laziest of modern riffs on this. It's also, unfortunately, the first half of that sounds very uh, very close to the 1998 movie Strangeland, written oh, and really? starring Dee Snyder. And you're like, Twisted huh. Sisters Dee Snyder? Oh, fuck yeah, Twisted Sisters Dee Snyder. Wow. We're not going to take it, Dee Snyder. He plays a serial killer who uh, meets teenagers in a chat room and in a nod to the exorcist he goes by captain howdy which is the name that the demon uses <laughs> as uh reagan's um imaginary friend and um then he tortures and kills a teen girl uh but then the, the parents torture him i don't i saw it once many years ago it's bad um but the teenager a young linda cardellini that's fun huh good for her <laughs> uh yeah i don't know i feel like it would have to be some sort of internet based uh, that's possession that horror <laughs> i hate that but do you disagree i 
Like, well, I think you have to find. I think what you're not looking for is. I mean, you're you're going for the parental fear, right? You're looking for the parental fear angle. Yeah. Is there a way to go for like the hopelessness angle? Like. Uh, what kind of hopelessness? I don't like, know. M- modern hopelessness. What it, what what infuses modern hopelessness? I don't know. The f- a feeling of a a, mm-hmm. a, 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 cu- a country destroying itself, a world uh, <laughs> a world on fire, about to die. Um, I John, think I th- we 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 said realistic things. <laughs> Something the audience could relate. You to. know, I think I would start there. I think I would actually start with um, a child who grows sullen and depressed, uh, and it and it kind of it feels like typical um, uh, teenage like depression uh, and angst, mm-hmm. but it gets darker and darker, and um, uh, and you have like. You know, you had the parents like depressed about I don't know some career stuff or some uh, political stuff, but then the child is like, you know, the world is um, the child's like been reading about how the world could end in in her lifetime or something, and like the par- maybe the child is Greta Thunberg. <laughs> yeah. It's the Greta Thunberg story. Um, but, you know, but like, but like, and the parent can't really combat what she's saying. Like, is having a hard, like, hard time. Like, maybe she doesn't even believe it necessarily. But the child gets darker and darker. Maybe, like, a child, the child's friend kills themselves. Or, I don't know. I don't, oh, this, like, I think this might be too tacky. But, like, a school shooting type thing. But, like, there's something... I think you, I don't think, I think we don't need a school shooting, but I think you put like a school shooting in the news at one point, just more stuff for people to be depressed after. But then the child starts acting weird and it's in a way where like at first the parents worried she's going to harm herself, but then worried like, I don't, you could have like, like, is my child like dovetail into like, is my child going to become like a school shooter or something? But I think you play with like that mm. angle and then it starts becoming supernatural. I, 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 this is as much as I pose the question, I haven't actually really thought about this. So this is off the dome and I can already see problems with this. Um, it feels tacky. But how are you? Yeah. But how are you even gonna? What would be the priestly equivalent in this one too? Well, so I know um, the new one, Exorcist uh, Believer, kind of dealt with that. It's as much as um, uh, or, or organized religion numbers were already starting to drop in 1973. They are plummeting now. Um, so you can't really bank on um, like the Catholics coming out. Um, you still actually do get whenever they make an exorcist movie. You still get uh, exorcist movies are typically like low budget exorcist movies, not ones that cost thirty million dollars. But low budget ones do typically still make money um, uh, frequently with like Latin American audiences, um, where Catholicism is mm-hmm. still more prevalent. Um, but you can't uh, really bet on that. So like the new one, like had it be a priest and like. A rabbi and uh, it's a bunch of religious figures working together. Oh yeah, they all go into a bar. Uh, that's so weird. 
What if you then, if that is the audience for exorcism movies, why not just set it in Latin America? You could. Like, yeah. I mean, and. But I think you, I think you still, you want yeah, the parent to know. be a non-believer. I think you want the parent to be a non-believer and to be forced to confront a belief system that they have no real connection to. Yeah. And it could be still maybe like due to some you know, actual, you know, conflict with the religion. I mean, if anything, it would kind of be interesting to have this movie set in a world where the Catholic Church did do the all the shitty things that they actually I agree. did do. I, yeah. Like, w- wouldn't it be interesting to kind of reckon in, like, you need help with your child from all the people who were predators of children in many ways like what does that do how do you reckon with that um yeah i don't know i mean maybe you have the priest figure go instead of uh seeking the permission of the church instead you have the priest figure be like you know you have this other thread of this like priest who's like disgusted with the church and like his uh pews are empty and and maybe like uh uh yeah, I, maybe he he actually uh, like chooses some goes about it his own way somehow. I I don't know, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But right now, someone's in a room being paid to have figure this out. Maybe they're gonna listen to our podcast and be like, "These are all great ideas." I hope. Or what if it's like the priest is the one that's possessed, and there's a child somewhere that needs to somehow exercise the priest? <laughs> now that would be a fun twist. That's the spin we need. Done. Done. It's called Baby Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's an adult and you've got adorable an adorable little a little like baby priest <laughs> and an adorable little baby nun. And they're like, Oh no <laughs> And the the possessed guy's like, Are you on timey or you're so grounded? <laughs> I think we got it. I think we unlocked this. <laughs> Where's our at least two hundred million dollars. We are now, I think, pitching the movie "Goodnight, Mommy," which is a movie I hate. Okay, well, we're gonna make a better version of. Did it. you see? More were like you "Good Morning, Mommy"? Were you with us when we went to see that movie? I hate that movie so much. No. Okay. I've I've never even heard of it. Um, it's so, bad, and uh, it had a viral trailer, which made everyone think it would be good. Um, but then it was bad. But then it's a foreign film, so for some reason they remade it with uh, Naomi Watts, and I'm sure it was still bad in that version. I did not see it. Mm. Sorry, good night, yeah, mommy that, heads. That's... I'm coming out strong. <laughs> the movie's stupid. Wow! Wow! We're gonna be attacked by good by mommy talk. Good night, mommy talk. <laughs> yep, yep. The huge subset of TikTok users who do their good night, mommy dances, um, and their good night, mommy DVD unboxings. Oh, this was uh, actually a funny thing. My so I watched this with my boyfriend who has seen The Exorcist before, and. He and at the end, when I was very underwhelmed, he was like, "Well, what did you find 
scarier, this or Megan? And I was like, oh, Megan, a thousand percent. I enjoyed Megan so much more. Did you all, you found, <laughs> I, you know, I, th- I, th- I think I'm, I'm on the side of the exorcist. I enjoyed Megan. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go with the exorcist. Hot take. I All think right. The How very vanilla of you. There's dozens of us Megan heads. But hey, Michael Myers is better than all of them. You know, like yeah, that's true. One or two or three times. <laughs> and you know, like Scream is better than all of these franchises. All right, so. hey, Fuck y'all. Scream is my favorite motion picture franchise of all time, so I'm not going to argue with you there. Um. There you go. We reached an agreement, <laughs> which means it's time for us to rank the movie. Okay, good. And then you know what time it comes after that. More guile. Bedtime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, oh, God. let's rank it. Are you ready? Um, three. Sure. Two. One. A minus. C plus. <laughs> All right. Wow. I feel so weird ranking like a very, clearly a classic. I'm very much in a minority. But I'm like, I did not like it. Movies age, you know, art ages. That happens. Um, Hey, oh, we didn't do our our segment. um, Ooh, that would not fly today. I can't think of anything really. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's, yeah, I think all of it. None of it stuck out to me as that problematic or problematic at all. Hmm. Do you have anything? No, I guess um, I guess the fact that the Nazis thing scene stuck out either meant it either meant something different. I think it just meant something different than than it did today when yeah. um, uh, they're coming back. Uh, they they were out when this they're movie came out, comeback. and now they're now they're on their way back. The Nazi cycle is is up again. So. Um, so yeah, it means something different. Phew, thank God. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, someone bought the rights to Nazis and they're rebooting the franchise. Um <laughs> for for how how much? The RNC paid five hundred million dollars for the rights to Nazis. Now I get it, because they do have some <laughs> you get the rights to the you get the costumes, you get the logo. That's a great logo. <laughs> yeah. You have a clear villain, a lot of supporting good villains. Good marketing lots of style. Synergistic marketing deals with Volkswagen. Yeah, and Chanel and Bayer Chemical and Siemens. We're I so this is we're recording this a couple of weeks after the Super Bowl. Volkswagen was what were they thinking doing a commercial that was like, hey, look at all our history from the 20th century starting in 1950. Yeah, look at that car Hitler designed. <laughs> like, it, like, it's just asking. I, I, I have to imagine they knew that was going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. Very strange choice. Okay. Speaking of strange yes. choices, Argyle. We're not done talking about Argyle. Because after we oh after we recorded that movie, that podcast, talking about the greatest movie of 2024, uh, I just I don't think anything will beat it. I know it's early, but the greatest movie of yeah. 2024, Safe Argyle. Um, and we were texting back and forth to try to fix the audio in our episode. Veronica texted me, "Hey, I just thought of something else wrong with Argyle," and I <laughs> I was with someone when I when you texted me that. 
and I honestly gasped out loud and like scared them <laughs> when you texted me and I had to explain it all. And that means I also had to explain to her the plot of Argyle <laughs> to explain <laughs> why your text was so funny. So um, <laughs> if you have not listened to our episode uh, on Argyle, give it a listen now. Um, I promise it's not. Very the, sorry. The audio isn't as bad as we made it sound. Um, I mean, we made it sound that way, but it's not as bad as we made it sound now. <laughs> um, but Veronica, do you want to point out the pro? There's so many problems with the plotting of Argyle, 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 that there's Argyle. one problem that makes the entire plot make zero sense, and no one has. I haven't seen anyone caught it until you. So here you go. Yeah. So as we talked earlier. So Allie is a successful author. She's hit some sort of a a writer's block in the writing of her current book. And so what she does is that she goes on a train to visit her mom because she's scared of airplanes. And on the plane, she gets attacked by a series of assassins who are there to kill her. Uh, And she is saved by the Sam Rockwell character, who we later find out is actually her lover slash partner in espionage in her previous life where she was also a spy. And where her mom is also (laughs) a spy, but from a competing spy agency, as is the person who sent all of these assassins. Uh, But their goal in the whole movie was to get Allie to finish her book. So why, and she was making her way towards the mother's spy, the person who was trying to guide her into how to finish her book. So why are they trying to murder her on this train? I don't think that makes sense. Like, cause like, why would you try to murder a person who is very willfully heading over to you in that moment? Veronica, I see one problem with your logic. Her name is Ellie mm-hmm. with an E, not Allie with an A. I thought it was Allie. It oh, Allie. man. All right. Well, sorry. That fixes everything. I take it all back. <laughs> no, no. It's it's insane. I You said that, and I, I lost my mind. The only possible <laughs> explanation, the only possible explanation is that they were tailing her and only decided to kill her when they saw Sam Rockwell approach her. But even then, mm. it's like they like she, it's so dangerous that she gets back in the hand of their enemies that it's worth killing her. But do we get any impression that those? But like even still, like why wouldn't they try to kill him? And they could even play yeah. it off like he's creeping her out. They could be like, that guy is exactly. a, that guy's a violent maniac, ma'am. We're so sorry. We were actually, we're the police and we've been tailing him. But like, you're right. She and just had a phone call. And they even kind of set it up. Yeah. Because they kind of set it up because like there's a handsome man like who walks past her. He's like a fan of her book. He's sort of ogling her. And you think, oh, like he's going to be like one of the people trying to kill her or something like that. But he then just like never comes into anything. We Should see him he once, be like the one we, trying to. We get the reveal that he actually was just a handsome man. We do. We do see him once later on. No, I get that. But it's like 
that's way weaker than what it could have been, which could have explained why they're there on this train, which, I mean, the real explanation is they needed action scene. <laughs> but, like, I, it just seems like it makes no sense for them it to would, do this. What it should have been is that she should have been like, I'm. she should have been like, Mom, I thought about it. I don't think the book needs another chapter. I'm going to end it the way it ended and I'm leaving and I'm going on vacation, you know, like, but instead these people have apparently spent years trying to get her to write this final book. And she has written, it has taken her five books to get up to this point. So years have passed and she's finally got to the chapter with the information they need. And Catherine O'Hara's character is trying so hard being like, honey, I think you really need to write this last chapter. And she's like, all right, mom, I'm going to come visit you to write the chapter. So they're like, well, fuck it. Stab her with a pen knife. <laughs> it is but baffling. Also, it even in like the subsequent text I send you, I was like, why are they even running the psyop on her to begin with? It's like when she dies, they know from their perspective that she was on or she doesn't die. But when she loses her memory, they know that she was on their side. She was already betraying the real CIA or like whatever spy work she was in. So when she comes to, why not actually just like try to revive her memory? Like this is a person who's on your side. Why are you doing this whole, like, dog and pony show pretending to be your parents or whatever? They, I, It's not explained well, but I can see that where, they, like, they can't, if she, if they let her know that it's real, then it could be that, like, the brain, the way the brainwashing magic, because it's magic. Uh, it's, you know, not in the movie, but let's, let's just, it's magic. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, it, the way the absurd brainwashing um, uh, technology works is that um, if she knows too much is real, that she'll get the most back. So they may need her to think it's fictional while still getting there. But it is weird that they're not just like, hey, honey, you were an author. Also, you were working on a book that ended like this. <laughs> And you were you were going to the store to finish the book when a car hit you. All your manager's outside and he's desperate for the last <sighs> pages. So why don't you just sit here and write that part specifically? Why do they need to do five books first? But like that's not the problem. But I with don't the even movie. understand. Like she wakes up. Could they not be like, hey, agent Argyle? <laughs> like what what happened? Like, tell us what happened. And if she, like, doesn't remember, let's try actual proper memory restoration techniques. Why do they need to fool her? Yeah, why not? I don't know. It just, it still seems weird. Why not get uh, an evil guy, two evil characters who kind of look like um, Sam Rockwell and Samuel L. Jackson and brainwash her to be like, this is your boyfriend. This, that guy who you love, it's him. Yeah. Like, since they have the ability to make her forget who her parents are, presumably they can also be like, this guy who kind of looks like your boyfriend is your boyfriend. And then she'd be like, oh, yeah, I went to meet that guy and I put the thing in a box. Um, 
But hey, you know, yeah. Argyle, we're still talking about it. No one else in America yeah, you is. Know Maybe it did his job. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I. Yeah, you're welcome, Apple. I don't have a problem with that other stuff you said, but your point that, like, why are they going to kill her? That is truly hilarious. Because <laughs> it well, really doesn't I have a make problem sense. with. I have a problem with everything. <laughs> um, None of it makes sense. Well, <laughs> hey, we talked about two movies, like our old, like the way this podcast was originally supposed to be—an old movie and a new movie. Wow! Wow! <laughs> speaking I'm of sure which, our audience fondly remembers. Speaking of new movies, we'll be back in two weeks. What do you think we're going to be talking about? I think it's pretty likely, John, that we are going to be talking about a little movie called Dune Part Dune. Is anything else coming out that weekend? You think something would eclipse Dune Part I, Dune? I don't, but I... I, I uh, uh, how do I... Uh, it seems like only again? something called About Dry Grasses, which seems like an AI generator. <laughs> Um, it's about a young teacher hopes to be transferred to Istanbul after four years of mandatory service in a remote village, but is accused of inappropriate contact by two students. After losing hope, a colleague offers him a new perspective on life. I think it's safe to say that it will be Dune. <laughs> well, I'm very excited. I rewatched part one with friends the other day. And I am currently, uh, <laughs> I am currently, um, you know, when the first movie came out, I got all jazzed and I bought the book and I read 150 pages and then the movie came out and I was like, <laughs> oh, I lost interest. Um, so now the second movie's coming out. <laughs> um, I've, about, I've read about 70 more pages. Uh, will I finish it before the movie comes out? We will see and we can discuss that on the next episode. <laughs> nice but before that i would oh sorry yeah you would have to probably tell me what it's about <laughs> what do you mean because i did i love the first dune movie uh, the first villainue movie but i did not understand it at all <laughs> i still don't know what was happening and i fully expect to not understand what happened in the second movie but as long as there are spaceships flying slowly, I will be very okay. <laughs> you know, I loved I loved the first movie. Uh, I saw it again. Still love it. It's incredible. Um, it is. So I had read, you know, about, no, no, I'm not the first half, but like the first third of the book when I saw that movie. Um, I had not seen the David Lynch one yet. Um, I don't think. But, uh, but so I was like, oh, yeah, like getting that far into the book, I had a very firm handle on the movie. I rewatched it with some friends and I'm like, I'm like, huh, this is a little like harder to follow than I remembered. So I, I paused it and I went, um, I asked my friend Brittany, I said, I said, Brittany, um, what's a what's going on? She's like, oh, I, I like I get it. And I'm like, well, like what's going on with like the the prophecy? And she's like, oh, I don't. I don't really get that. I'm like, what's going on with the emperor? And she's like, ah, <laughs> uh, there's an emperor, I guess. And I'm like, what's going on with the, the, <laughs> so I, 
I I think maybe as as great as the movie is, it is better at vibes maybe than um, communicating yeah. the intricacies of the plot. But which I'm all I'm all for. I'm I have no objection to this. There's also a very fun board game called Dune. I believe Imperium. That is very fun that, that I sense. played. So, you know, maybe I'll play the board game again. <laughs> um, well, I'm very excited for the movie. I'm excited to continue reading the book. Um, Veronica, have you seen anything uh, anything else great since our last uh, episode? Or did you just return mm. for more and more screenings of Argyle? Yeah, I've just been watching Argyle on a daily basis just to really get the intricacies of <laughs> the plot. Uh, I saw this very small British movie called uh, Scrapper. Have you heard about it? Um, uh, wait, maybe. it's sort of it's a coming it's a coming of age movie. It came out last year about this girl who's sort of forced to raise herself after a single mom dies, and she does it in a very precocious manner. She lives in sort of the housing projects in England. And then she is off there living her independent life when her dad, who's really like younger than us, comes back. And younger than trying us? To sort of, There's no, no yeah. person that exists with that description? Uh, who is trying to ingratiate himself back into her life. Uh, and I thought that it was very, very sweet. It has a, a lot of kind of pretty fun filmmaking gimmicks. So it's not kind of dry or is really trying to make you cry or anything like that, even though you might tear up. Uh, so, yeah, so that one was very sweet. And uh, on Sunday, I watched for the first time The Duke of Burgundy. Oh, I love that movie. It was really fun. Uh, really drove home the idea that being a dom in a relationship is a lot of fucking hard work. <laughs> who who made that? Uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. He, the uh, made I that? think his name is Peter Strickland. He made something since that, something interesting since that that I feel like I saw. It, he made In Fabric and he made a Faux Gourmet. Flux Gourmet. Oh, I didn't... Flux Gourmet? Yeah, I didn't see that, but I wanted... Flux Gourmet, I've seen before, and I enjoyed a lot. I wanted to see it because Uh, I liked uh, Duke of Burgundy so much. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Flux Gourmet is pretty fun. Uh, I think this one is more specific, maybe? But I think Flux Gourmet overall, maybe I enjoyed a bit more. But this one I had a great time with. Definitely recommend. It has a lot of very, very fun stuff going on. Are you? And I don't want to spoil it. Have you been thinking of uh, buying any trunks uh, anytime soon? I mean, if one chances into, you know, a basement that I inhabit, of course, I, I might be intrigued to bring it into the bedroom. Um, How about you, John? You know, uh, I ju- it's hard to find uh, the good workmanship they 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 have in the uh, they find in Dukes of Burgundy. Um, 
I <laughs> it's been years since I see that. I think I saw that movie shortly after it came out. But like, isn't there a really funny scene where she's like giving like the construction dimensions to the person building the trunk? Uh, n- well, no. So she finds the trunk in the basement, but she also invites this woman who I think his entire job is to make sort of S and M. Oh, like okay, furniture. yeah. She a carpenter to buy a build a bed. It's different. That's what I was thinking of. Yes, the bed with the drawer. That's what I was thinking of, not the trunk. <laughs> the bed with a drawer. Yeah, she it. wants to be sat on, and in lieu of that, she will accept a toilet. I think it's a very funny that's, scene. It's probably the best scene in the movie. <laughs> that's the scene I remember. That is a very good movie, and we'll stop spoiling it now. Um, I, for the first time, can you believe it? For the first time. I finally saw Dario Argento's Deep Red. I had never seen it before. 1975. Um, I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. There's, you know, I love Suspiria. Um, Phenomena, I'm a little more mixed on. I I think I enjoy uh, the video game, the first video game, Clock Tower, which steals half these uh, uh scenes from uh, uh phenomena more than i enjoy actual phenomena um mm. there's just like too many weird things in that movie uh she's like solving murders with bugs at one point um this one uh deep red this is like classic giallo style we got our our uh gloves and our, our spooky spooky uh killer um we got a goblin score it's you know, it's 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 not perfect, um, but it hasn't aged too poorly. Um, there's a, I will say, the, the male and female lead are at times deeply unlikable, but that's <laughs> there. She is the worst journalist on planet Earth. Um, he's a p- <laughs> pianist. Um, I don't know why you get a pianist to solve a murder, but fine. Um, but he's a pianist who's also a deep misogynist. And a really pissy one at that. Um, but uh, I, oh, I can't say anything more. Um, close your ears if you haven't seen uh, Deep Red. Uh, I mean, I did the moment there's a scene where he's like, he's like, women are weak. Women are so much weaker than men. I was just sitting there like, well, the murderer is a woman. There's no way it's now not going <laughs> to reveal that the murderer is a woman. Um, but you know, it actually was not necessarily the woman I thought it was. So, you know, it, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. And um, there are sequences that are genuinely... You want to see a 1970s movie with suspense, Veronica. Uh, pick up Deep Red. There are sequences that are genuinely stressful in um, how suspenseful <laughs> they are. It's a fun watch. I enjoyed it. I think I would like it. Yeah. And I... I think my little spoiler there would not uh, uh, disrupt your enjoyment of the film. <laughs> I don't think it's a particularly satisfying mystery, no matter what. So the the nuts and bolts of the mystery are not necessarily what makes the movie enjoyment enjoyable. What's the score like? Is it as good as Suspiria? It's it's his first collaboration with Goblin, and it's not as striking as like i have the suspiria score on vinyl um uh it's it's what i make love to um but um to the record yes oh yeah 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 i i (laughs) 
right through the hole in the middle. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? Good that you're saying it and not me. <laughs> if you fuck fast enough, the music plays. Yeah, it's like you fuck at 30 RPM or 44 RPM or... <laughs> I, 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 I like to switch off. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, it's... That's how the ladies like it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good. It's fun. It feels like... It comes like like starts and stops at random times throughout the movie, which feels weird. Um, I'm curious if there is a... The killer plays a track of music before killing people. Um, and I'm curious, I don't, it's like a children's uh, nursery rhyme. And I don't know if Goblin wrote it, but it's very effective. Huh, I don't know if that fun. was written. Yeah, I feel like nursery movie. rhymes provide a top creep factor, usually. Yeah, and it's 1975, so that hadn't been, you know, done to absolute death. Also, there's tons of like extreme close-up shots. Like beautiful, extreme mm. close-up shots. I don't know what lens they were using in 1975 to get these like just cl- extreme close-up of a cassette player starting to play. Like it's the kind of thing where like mm. nowadays, like uh, uh, like these shots would be on TikTok and get like millions of views. Like close-up of a t- tape player, and then all the comments would be like, "A what? What? A what player? <laughs> what is this device?" Um, <laughs> But yeah, I like the movie a lot. Um, yeah. Do we have anything else to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. I think we're all good. Unless you have any more Argyle thoughts. Um, I, well, I actually, uh, fuck, I, um, I hate to end the episode on a bad note, uh, sad note, but, um, I did while we were sitting here. I got a news notification that um, director Matthew Vaughn has passed away uh, due to complications from oh, his no. his mind being too twisted. Oh, oh no! I always thought it could it could happen. I feared it. He was so twisted for all of us. Wait a minute! He was out there. Wait a minute, Veronica! I I just got oh. another notification. His mind twisted uh-huh. back around. He's made a full <gasps> recovery. The Argyle prequel movie is a go. Oh my God, thank God. Can Taylor Swift write <sighs> it fast enough? Hey. She is so busy. Hey, if anyone could do it, I believe that, that her next album uh, is the score to Argyle, the prequel movie. So that's something we can all wait to. I'm so glad we got that good news. The episode thank can you. end on a high note. Oh, God. Thank God. I, I hate it when we end on a downer where a director dies. We've had de- it happens so frequently. <laughs> We're always announcing the deaths of directors on this show. It's so yeah. sad. I got to just turn off my phone. Stop looking at these notifications. Yeah. Also, stop murdering these directors. It John. is me. I'm playing the music from <laughs> Deep Red, putting on my gloves, mm-hmm. my yellow gloves, and murdering directors. So, um, well, William Friedkin, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I won't say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there might have been a Burchad connection. <laughs> uh, before, before this bit ends with us implicating ourselves in crimes, uh, let's end this fucking episode. <laughs>
Toot toot, Veronica. Toot toot, John. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.